Welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word, the podcast that empowers you to say fuck being fine. Tired of being stuck in a place where you say everything's fine, when it's really not fine at all? You're not alone. I'm your host, Lori Seitz. I've been there too, and so have my guests. Here's a secret. All it takes is a conscious decision to change and then restructure beliefs so your actions take you in the right direction. That's where Fine is a Four-Letter Word comes in. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories from people who have transformed their lives and businesses and practical tips and takeaways to move you from spinning in place to forward action so you can create a life of joy. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. When your life story is dominated by trauma resulting from one fucked up thing after another, it plays a nasty trick on your definition of what's fine. After surviving being killed almost three times before she was two years old, Sonia Graham was adopted into a strict Puerto Rican Irish Catholic family. Her father was in the Air Force, so while she developed resilience to deal with ever-changing situations, she did not learn how to create lasting relationships because she knew whatever friends she made, she would not have for very long. Because of her extensive behavioral issues, her parents eventually put her into Boys Town. The bigger issue was that she had PTSD from her childhood traumas, and in the 80s, PTSD was misunderstood. As a result, Sonia was treated with psychiatric drugs rather than the proper treatment. So as an adult, she hesitated to seek the therapy she needed, which prolonged her suffering. All this instilled one of Sonia's core values. At the end of the day, the only person you really have is you. So you have to be true to you. After she got out of Boys Town, she graduated high school early, then had her first child at 18. Six years later, she was pregnant again. Then at age 27, she married, divorced, and remarried all in one year. Sonia's husbands, like her father, were in the military, so she went back to the pattern of moving around. After the family moved to Maryland, she became a realtor. Then she got divorced again. She discovered her passion for teaching and found a unique niche, helping Maryland realtors learn the business side of real estate beyond simply getting a license. All in all, everything seemed fine. Until her teenage son tried to murder her. Indeed, fine is a four-letter word. In a moment, when you meet Sonia, you'll discover her quest for what she calls living in beige. When your life is dominated by trauma and violence, with occasional good things, such as finding your niche in your career and excelling at it, you just don't see the middle. Like Sonia, it's possible you're not fine because trauma is the only thing you really understand. And as a result, trauma itself becomes your fine. If you want to start changing the coding in your brain so you can see past the trauma and find the beige, the five easy ways to start living the sabbatical life guide is for you. Once you read it, you'll discover a counterintuitive approach to making intentional changes in mindset and lifestyle. Learn how to own your feelings and your struggles so you can address them. And find out how to face your fears, step out of your comfort zone, and rewire your beliefs. It's only seven pages, so it won't take you long to get through. The five tactics are simple, but once you follow even one of them, you'll find yourself seeing a new point of view. When you're ready to say fuck being fine, then this guide is the place to start. 
It's time to blaze a new trail and chart a new course. Go to zenrabbit.com right now to download it for free. Now, let's go meet Sonia. This may be the most colorful beige you've ever seen. Hello and welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My guest today is Sonia Graham. Welcome to the show, Sonia. Thanks for having me, Lori. I'm so excited to be here. I am excited to have you. And um, when we were doing the pre-show call, you reminded me who introduced us and now it totally went out of my head. Um, Jason Madden. Jason Madden. Right, right, right. Wanted to give him a shout out because, and, and it's funny because it's been a couple of years and we've just been friends on Facebook and we haven't had that much interaction, but you know, when the time is right for somebody to show up on this program, there they are. Yep. Here I am. So, <laughs> and here you were to ask me, I wouldn't be here without you asking me. So thank you. For yeah. That. Well, and since, and you know, in the whole time that we've been connected, watching your journey from where you were to where you are now is just so incredible. And that's why I was like, yeah, you need to come on and talk about your story. Thank you. Thank you. So sometimes I appreciate I forget, your willingness to do that. Sometimes I forget people actually pay attention to me on social media. So <laughs> well, a lot of times it. it can feel like you're shouting into a void, but you never know who's watching. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you for tuning in to the Sonia show. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get started by uh, hearing your response to the question of what were the values and beliefs you were raised with that oh. contributed to you becoming the person you are that's such a hard question because I was raised so differently from most people um I was adopted at two and was the people who adopted me were uh Puerto Rican Irish Catholics I don't know if you know anything about those three separately and then combined but Mm -hmm. um pretty intense pretty strict especially because I'm a girl um and then I was actually put into a different different uh hospitals and eventually ended up in Boys Town which is a school for not bad kids because Father Flanagan says there's no such thing as a bad boy um but for kids who were kind of like either going to end up dead on the streets and prostitution or worse so Mm. um and thankfully that wasn't necessarily going to be my journey but my parents were just uh as as hard as they try they just weren't equipped to deal with the type of ptsd i had so that is where i ended up so all that to say is i didn't have a normal upbringing i had more examples of what i didn't want to be as opposed to ooh, these are values i want to hold on to a mirror Mm -hmm. um and so I guess the values I grew up with is, you know, you come first. Um, The only person at the end of the day is you. So you have to be true to you. Uh, Do your best. Treat people, truly treat people the way you want to be treated. Um, I later learned to treat people the way they want to be treated, but that takes an extra level of of conscious. Um, But I was like, if I don't want to be lied to, I'm not going to lie to someone. If I don't want to be stole from, I don't want to steal. If I don't want to be sworn at, I'm not going to swear. So, um, and at the end of the day, like, the family is first, but it's not the family that you were given it's the family that you were chosen and the people that show up so mm-hmm. i think those yeah. are the biggest values that that i would say i grew to use while growing up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah where were you raised what what part of the country oh another 
Great question. Uh, my dad was Air Force, so uh, we moved everywhere. For I lived, I was born in California. Then we went to Michigan. We went to Mississippi. We lived in Alabama. We lived in Spain. Um, I was in hospitals in Pennsylvania, uh, Spain, Alabama. Uh, then eventually, oh, California, and then I eventually ended up in Omaha. Wow, Nebraska. That is and Utah, and then I graduated high school in Wichita, Kansas. Wow, that <laughs> is a lot. That yeah. is a lot. And did you find that all of those moves helped make you more resilient? I so I have a, I have a mixed I have mixed emotions with that. Uh, I have no problem saying goodbye. I have a really hard time keeping people close. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a really hard time with lasting relationships because I have been, um, kind of conditioned that every two to three years you're going to move. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so right. I don't know if it's resilient or if it just helped with my disassociation ability or mm -hmm. my, my goodbye ability. Um, I do think it added a lot of flavor. It exposed me to a ton of cultures, a ton of thinking and beliefs and, um, customs and I'm so grateful for that part. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so then after you graduated high school and now you're, you get to decide on your own what you're going to do with your life. What did you do? Nothing great. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I should have been left up to my own devices. No. So I graduated actually early. I graduated when I was 16. So I, I wasn't, um, you know, legal to just be out there on my own oh wow! It, and yeah I didn't end up getting well I I didn't mean to it's not because I was super smart please don't anybody think I'm a genius um I'm I'm intelligent but I I, I didn't graduate because I was super smart I graduated because of all the places that I was in my credits I, I accumulated so many credits mm. and so when I left Boys Town and went to live with my parents they put me in a Catholic school and Catholic school they don't really care where you are you have to have like 53 uh religious credits in order to graduate and i'm not really an in the, bo the box person i didn't really like yeah jive with anyway so we ended up graduating me early i do have a diploma geds are great but i do have a diploma my mother made sure of that um so <laughs> i actually ended up working at sears part-time uh ended up being pregnant um <laughs> and really just kind of fumbled around through life for a while. I got pregnant when I was 17. I had my first kid at 18. I got pregnant again at 24. I had some really weird time in between that age uh, gap. And I ended up getting married at 27, getting divorced at 27, getting married again at 27. Oh my gosh, months. that's a big year. <laughs> it was a great year. Wow. Um, and I married the men that I married were in the military, so we moved around. Um, I and I was uh, I had a, a whole slew of different jobs. Um, when we moved, the final move, well, not the final move, but in 2015, we moved here to Maryland, and I got my real estate license. And so, I guess you could say I became a mom, a wife, a single mom, and a realtor with my life. <laughs> okay, all right. It's the realtor thing, though, that has really, like, it seems like that's where you found your stride, or I don't know how to phrase that. Like, is that the way you, <laughs> I think I screwed that, like, yeah, yeah found your stride. Yeah. I said um, it and it sounded funny, but I think that's what I meant to say. 
No, it sounded perfect. Um, yeah, I mean, I wish I had this amazing story of how real estate was just like my lifelong dream. And it was like, I didn't want to own a house that I owned too by the time I got my license. Like we were literally, it was like, I, we just landed here from Italy and my husband at the time was like, are you going to work? And I was like, yeah, I want to. Um, but I'd been bartending for three years and I made a lot of money bartending, but I spent a lot of hours from 5 PM to 5 AM yeah. awake and away from my son. And my son was like, I don't want you to work at night, mom. Oh, and before that I was an I one dispatcher and I worked the midnight shift. So oh, my geez. son was tired of not seeing me. Of course. Um, <laughs> and we were walking out of our realtor's office and they had a little sign that said hiring. And my husband, he, at the time he actually wanted to be a realtor. His aunt was a realtor very well a very uh, successful realtor he wanted to be a realtor when he got out and he was like you should start this right now you'd be great at it and I was like okay um and then when we got when we got divorced it was kind of like okay I went from a you know six-figure dual income home where I didn't really have to put effort into the work that I did but I've had three really great years of apprenticeship and training. So do I keep this? Do I keep going and hope it takes off? Or do I go get a nine to five, you know, not even minimum wage job and Mm -hmm. go backwards? Uh, In my head, that would be going backwards. So I just hunkered down and said, okay, I'm going, I'm going to be successful at this one way or the other. I'm going to be successful at this. And I got really clear on my numbers. My numbers were very, very basic. Like what do I need to survive every month? Mm -hmm. How many houses do I have to sell every year to make sure that I survive? That's all I want. That's, I don't want, I don't want a Bentley. I don't want a million dollars. I don't want to pop bottles on boats every, you know, week. (laughs) I just want to pay my bills and not end up homeless. I've been homeless. That wasn't great. Um, So what do I do? And thankfully, thankfully, I was able to um, make a really comfortable life doing that. This, doing this. I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it, universe. I'm still doing it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And teaching others how to be successful now too, right? Oh, I'm so, so I am so passionate about teaching. I don't know if I'm going to teach them how to be successful, but I'm definitely, my, my, my mission is to provide the missing link between getting licensed and getting into business. And what I mean by that is getting licensed, at least in Maryland um, and in Texas. I was licensed in Texas for a while, but I don't, I don't train Texas agents. But in Maryland, it's a 60 hour law course. That's what it has nothing to do with contracts, has nothing to do uh, with the process. It has zero to do. Like when when you become a realtor, it's not like you go and work for a broker who gives you ready, willing and able buyers and sellers. You're Mm -hmm. opening your own business. You have to establish an LLC, a bank account, get a CPA. None of that's told to people when they get their license. It's Mm. here's a license. Go make we're going to take half of your money. Don't get sued. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, that's that's insane. Um, right. Or you have the flip side where it's just we're going to teach you how to lead generate. We're going to teach you how to convert. Uh, con- um, what is that word? Convert. Sorry, I was going to say converse, but you know, we know how to talk, um, how to convert leads. Somebody else will do your contract writing. Somebody else will do your paperwork. You just go out and get more bodies. And I think that's a great thing to build up to. Mm-hmm. For me and the way my brain works is I never I don't know how to tell someone to do the job I don't know how to do. And if I if I do tell someone to do a job for me that I don't know how to do, then I have no business getting mad at them when they don't do it right. Right. Or they take longer than you think they should be taking. Right. So let's learn how to do it. Like write a con most people don't know this, but about ninety seven percent of realtors never write a contract until they have their first client ready to write a contract. And I don't want to be that first 
that, that person. <laughs> right. And I was like, I mean, because like, and that's kind of what got me started is I was like, would I hire me as a realtor? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. I wouldn't hire me because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. Let me figure out. Let me learn how to do this. Let me learn the unsexy parts because contract writing is not sexy. Comp but it- is not fun. And yet very important. The most important. Um, so yes, it is my passion to to just basically give people a really strong foundation. This is this is how you do the job of a realtor. Go hire you a coach. Go hire, go join a big team. Go do whatever to, to help you, to motivate you and get you excited. Um, let me just show you how to do your job and give you some tools. And if you use those tools and if you learn the process and then, and then add your own flavor, then yeah, you'll be successful because that's what I did. I had a really great mentor who took me under his wing, let me write all of his contracts. And I say, let me not made me because again, I didn't have my own clients to write contracts for. Right. And thinking I need a client to write a contract, wrong thought process, but 2015 me had that, that thought process. So here I was putting in the reps, learning the process, learn, listening to him, talk to people. Um, and that just made all the difference for me. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you had that that way of thinking to improve yourself for the better, I mean, for everybody, for your clients and for yourself to make the experience better and uh, like a little bit easier for you. Not that it's easy, but to build your confidence yeah. so that then your clients could be confident that you know what you're doing. Yes. Yeah. And that's like, that's the trick is I learned that as long as you say something confidently, people will believe you and they will yeah. give you the grace and the space and the time to figure it out. Even if I confidently say, you know what, I'm not really sure what that answer is. And I know someone who will answer it. People aren't going to be like, oh, well, you're fired. I'm not going to work with you. They're going to be like, right. oh, look at her confident enough to say, I don't know, but also she's smart enough to know where to get the answer. So, yeah. and confidence comes from doing things over and over and over, and over again. So Right. Yeah, exactly. I want to uh, go to something that we talked about again in, a, in our pre-show conversation about um, wanting life to be beige. Because <sighs> I thought that was such an interesting way of phrasing things. I mean, obviously, you just gave us the, the early part of your life, which was a lot of chaos. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, all the way up to, I think, more recent years like most of your life was chaos yes (laughs) and it's only been yeah very recently past I don't even know how many years a few that you've been able to find some peace Mm -hmm. yeah so talk about wanting life to be beige oh because that because when people hear that it sounds like oh so you just want a boring life yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah thank you ding 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 so here's here's the thing about about being beige i have experienced the highest of highs i've experienced the lowest of lows you know when you're born to people who abuse you and don't love you and don't care for you your brain does not form the way that somebody who is loved and cared for forms your brain is programmed for chaos your brain is programmed for pain and so subconsciously, I learned this in therapy, subconsciously, your brain is always looking for that because there's an address, like, like when people talk about fight or flight, the fight uh, reaction is just surges of adrenaline all the time that you can't shut off. Your body is constantly like this, ready, you know, and when you live like that, 
for 38 years. Uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't constant. I don't want to make it sound like every, and I had some really good moments. I don't remember a lot of them. Thank you, trauma. Um, but I know mm-hmm. that they were there. I've seen pictures. I've heard, you know, recollection, but when you, when your brain is trained for trauma, you're always, it's, it's almost like being an addict. It's like, where can I get my next hit of dopamine, adrenaline? How can I ruin this relationship? How can I stir this pot? How can I, how can I make my body feel what it needs to feel? Because that's what I think I need to, to, to go forward. Mm -hmm. Because that's what, what is familiar. That's what's familiar. That's where you live. Um, and I don't, I did not even know until this past year, until 2023, that I didn't know how to experience joy. Um, a lot of people will make fun of people who are in their camera, like at a concert. And I went to a ton of concerts and someone had said in my comments, Oh, what's up? Little bubble. (laughs) Someone had said, Oh, you can't be in the moment enjoying this concert. It's so sad to see all those people on their phones. And I thought, he's right. I have more footage on my phone than I remember being present for this. And I have front row seats. Like I don't screw, I don't play when it comes to experiences. Like, I mean, they're going to be in there. Right. But my body couldn't, my brain and my body physically couldn't process the joy. So I had to record things so that an hour after I could look back and it was almost, I was almost like I dissociated while I was there because it was just too much. And then I would look and be like, oh yeah, that was fun. Oh, I don't remember that, but that looks cool. So it's like watching a movie of somebody else. Yes. All the time, all the time. Um, and so I realized I was, I was booking all these amazing, wonderful, great things because I wanted to feel joy. I wanted mm-hmm. to feel the adrenaline rush that came with joy and my body didn't know how to process it. Because my body and my brain are constantly looking for the other shoe to drop. They're constantly looking for, okay, it's good right now. So that means like I have a big sale now. So that means something catastrophic is going to happen that I'm going to have to pay for to fix. I don't get to keep that money. Uh And a lot of people say, oh, Sonia, that's you living in scarcity. No, that's called trauma. It's called trauma. Um, And so this past year, I was like, you know, I do love to have a good time. And I do love to have a good cry. I'm definitely cut out to handle any any emergency situation. I was 911 dispatcher for crying out loud. I, yeah. as, a, as a child, I survived being killed almost, you know, three times before I was two years old. I got that. I want to know what it's like to just be happy. Mm-hmm. Just be happy and live in beige. I like rainbows and the dark is cool because that's when the, the, the stars come out. I get that. Love that. I want to know what it's like to just be. Just exist and just be in the moment and experience that moment, not at a super high high, not at a concert high, not at a heartbroken low, just like, huh, it's Tuesday. It's in a, it's 70 degrees and it's partly cloudy. And you know what? That's cool. Yeah. So I want, I want beige. I wish more people loved on beige because beige is so great. When you describe it that way, yes. <laughs> That's what I see beige as. I don't see beige as boring. I see beige as as safe and as as consistent. Because again, with trauma, we don't have a lot. The only consistent we have is we're going to be hurt. We're going to be hurt. We're going to have to survive. Beige is, I'm surviving. Yeah, that it, it's safety, mm-hmm. and 
Right. Safety and peace, which as a survivor of trauma, you don't have, you haven't had much of. And so therefore, like you said, no experience living that way. None. And it's been such, it's been such a journey for my therapists and I, because like she sees and she knows all these things and, and, and she's a wonderful thing. So let me just preface this with, I did not support therapy for the better half of my life because I was forced into therapy. I was given horrible diagnoses because PTSD in children was not even considered in the eighties when I was struggling at the height, the height of it, I think. Um, and so I was given all kinds of crazy diagnoses. I was being, I, mean, I was very smart. So I, mm-hmm. I was smart in the sense where I, I was always looking out for myself. And if I, if I thought people were trying to get one over me, or if I thought people were trying to, to trick me, then I would like fight or flight. I was in fight. I was going to defend myself and, and sometimes at my own detriment. So Mm -hmm. if I thought they were trying to trick me, I was always trying to be one step, two step, three steps ahead. Um, and then when I figured out that my parents actually had to pay for everything that was, that they were putting me through, that was very scary. It's very scary to just be dropped in with a bunch of strangers and not know when you're going to leave. It's very scary to wake up. When I, when I went to the Utah desert, I woke up in my room and there was two huge men I didn't know in my bedroom that when I woke up, they they handed me my, my clothes, stuffed me in a car, were like basically my security and, and flew me to Utah. Like it's a very scary situation, right? Yeah. Um, And so I would purposely do things to either extend my stays and rack up their bills. And so like it, it wasn't healthy by any stretch of yeah. the imagination. But then I would be pumped full of medicine that didn't, that numbed me out, that didn't work, um, because they didn't need it. PTSD isn't a, a, a medicinal cure, so to speak. Right. Um, and right. that's a whole different conversation. But yeah. So, um, so I was not an advocate of therapy until finally in 2019, um, my youngest child attempted to kill me, and I was left in my house all by myself. My husband had just left me. Uh, he was threatening to kick me out. Uh, my son just tried to kill me out of nowhere. He he's not a violent. He's never been a violent child. Uh, I don't speak to my mother and my father, so I don't have any support there. Um, and I was like, I can't, I just can't do this anymore. I have been mm. strong for so long by myself. I put on a happy face. I toxic positivity until I blew in the face. Everything was fine. Everything was fine. Dang it. But it's not fine anymore. And I, I, suicide has never been an option for me. My big brother died by suicide in 2015. And, um, I don't, I have, I still to this day will never understand his, his life and my life. Not that there's any comparison, but why was I, why was I strong enough to hang on and why did he check out? Because he's actually the reason why I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that moment, I was like, if suicide was an option, that's where I would be right now. So I can't do this anymore. And so I got really smart, hired a therapist and she's been wonderful. She specializes in trauma therapy. Um, so, so make sure if you're listening to this and you're considering therapy, therapy, please do your research. Don't be afraid to say things like our first conversation. I'll never forget. I was like, look, we're not unpacking my my childhood. We're not dealing with any. I just need to get past the fact that my kid tried to kill me. You can get me past this. I'll yeah. I'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Five yeah. years later, we're learning that, yes, I am going to be fine. I'm going to be more than fine. And. She made it safe to unpack some of my childhood trauma, some of my child tra- my trauma around my parents, and um, and she has helped me walk into beige and 
be appreciative of it. So, yeah. How old was your son at the time? Uh, 15, 16, yeah. 15 or 16. And, and I don't want to leave listeners hanging because tell them where you are with him now. Oh my gosh. We have the best relationship ever. Um, it was two, it was two years of separation, um, during COVID. So I wasn't even allowed to go like see him. Um, but he was in, he was in therapy. I was in therapy like twice a week. Um, and when he, when, when the state was like, okay, he's ready to come home. And I was like, wait, what? Uh, this person tried to kill me. Um, yeah. (laughs) Thankfully at that point, it had been two years of therapy and I lovingly, but firmly said, listen, this is, I had moved in, in the time that he was gone. I, I had to move. My husband at the time had kicked us out. I was letting the house go in foreclosure. So um, I'd moved and I said, listen, this house is the first house I've ever lived in where nobody has hurt me. Nobody's hurt me. Nobody has used me. Nobody has lied to me. It is decorated the way I want it. It is. It smells the way I want it. <laughs> this is my safe place. And it has taken me two years to not sleep with all my doors locked and uh, a bat under the bed and with one eye open. Um, I want you to come home. I want you to be a functioning member of society. But I'm absolutely not going to tolerate one one letter of disrespect. I'm not going to tolerate one moment of anything that I've dealt with with you for the last five years. So if you have any, any any thought that you're going to come back into my house and act that way, you're not welcome. And those are the hardest words I've ever had to say. Cause that's my son. Like that's yeah. my baby. Yeah. And he could not have been more apologetic. We continued in therapy for about a year after he came home. He, uh, on his own, uh, he graduated high school and on his own decided to go to college. Got, and he just came home one day. It was like, Hey mom, I start college on the 26th of August. And I was like, <laughs> never, I've never been that mom that's like you have to do this, yeah. and this, and yeah. this. I was like, whatever you're like, find your bliss, like find what uh-huh. makes you happy. Do that thing. The answer isn't in a piece of paper that you pay, you know, forty thousand dollars for. Whatever life, like whatever, whatever path you want to be on, let's. I'm going to support you there. But he is in college. He's now in his second year in college. He works at a gym. He's preparing to walk a bodybuilding stage in August. Oh, he wow. is the most uh, emotionally intelligent human I have met in a very long time he's very apathetic um we both still have things that trigger us uh and when we either recognize the trigger in the other person or we feel it ourselves we we now can have conversations that are like hey your your you know your energy changed what's going on hey do you, do you need a minute do you want a hug do you need space how can i show up for you and that's him that's not me talking to him that's that's him wow. talking to me yeah. um he's very protective of me when it comes to to anybody um he's just wonderful like he's he's just wonderful and i'm as horrible as the memory of that is i am grateful that we were able to move past it and be where we are today because it could have had a very different ending yeah i mean that is really tremendous and that's a a testament to the work that you've been doing thank you all of these years as well as the work that he uh took responsibility for doing yeah and and that was that was that was really key. We both had to take responsibility for our part because while nobody ever deserves to be hurt physically, I had I had a part in his hurt that he wasn't able to process. And mm-hmm. 
um, here's, here's the thing. The hardest role I've ever had to play is a mom who was falling apart, but had to stay strong for her son. And you don't, there's really no way to plan that. There's no way to plan that. And I think there's so needs and, and dads do it too. Like, I don't want to make it seem like I'm just like, pro yeah. like dads fall apart and have to be, you know, show up for their kids. And, and the truth is we we don't get a handbook. We don't get a handbook that says, okay, this is how you handle this situation. This is how you handle this age. Right. So, um, I think the fact that I was also able to show up for him and be like, I don't know how to be the best version of myself right now. I don't know what to do. I'm going yeah. to, I'm going to figure it out, but I right. need space right now because I don't, I, I've never dealt with this. And I think the fact that I was able to just be human with him as opposed to like be, a you know, this, this, this strong, unbreakable robot. Right. Or to retaliate back what you oh, had cool. grown up with. So you were the one to break this, this um, cycle, this yeah. an ancestral cycle. Yes. Well, thank you for saying that because while my parents and I don't speak, um, the last time I, I texted with my dad, I, it was not a pleasant conversation. They were actually unwelcoming me to a family reunion that everybody in my family had invited me to. Um, and he, I don't, I don't remember what he had said to me, but my last, my last text message was, you know, I'm really grateful for the dad you were to me, even though it's not the dad I wanted you to be. Because had you been any other dad to me, I wouldn't be able to be the parent I am to my son, Aiden, mm -hmm. and we mm -hmm. wouldn't be where we're at. And so as painful as that relationship is, and there are still days where I'm like, maybe I should call. Maybe I should send yeah, a voice message. Of course. Um, if they were any, if, if I'm just a firm believer, if they were the parents that I wanted versus the parents that I needed, I wouldn't have the relationship with my son. And so I'm going to forever be grateful for them for that. Yeah. And it serves you on every level mm -hmm. better to yeah. be in gratitude than to be in anger or resentment or and not that those emotions aren't valid correct it's just to to live there does not serve you it doesn't and you know i was trained all my life because my ang i'm 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 very passionate as my grandma says but i have mm -hmm. very big emotions a lot, a lot that stem from trauma and not being able to process them as a baby and not being you know taught when you cry, you get love when you're yeah. sad, you know? So I have like, my emotions are just huge. I'm super duper happy. And then I'm super duper angry. Um, and so just, you know, kind of being able to process them a little bit, a little bit differently and, yeah. and, and acknowledging them because I was always so scared of anger. I was like, I can't be angry because if I'm angry, bad things will happen. Mm. I can't be this. I can't, I can't be any negative emotion because people don't like when I'm a negative emotion and I want people to like me because nobody likes me. And if I'm just so learning that anger serves a purpose. Yeah. I don't have to invite anger to sit and hang out right. with me, but I can right. say, Ooh, anger, you're protecting me because I feel threatened. I feel threatened because this is, triggering this for me uh, oh you're I'm sad I'm sad okay sad's okay sad's a great emotion I cry once a day I mean yeah um and so I just think you know being able to honor those feelings and, and not sit with them but like okay there you are you're upset what are we upset about what are we sad about okay then guess what that happened in the past and that was terrible this is what's happening now and we can we can 
we can put that to bed or we can put that aside. Or you know what? You can walk with me, but I'm still going to keep moving. I'm not going to anger. Be, be angry. Hey, hang out with me. We're only going to be angry till 8 p.m. on Thursday. Um, <laughs> but we're going to keep, right. we're going to still keep moving. So I think being able to honor those feelings, I think that we live in, and I, I love the fact that the world today is so cognizant of healing and so cognizant of, of needing to break generational curses. Uh, but I also think because of that, we have, uh, devalued all the rest of the feelings. And I think all the rest of the feelings are so important. And if we can learn to process them correctly, and we can learn to res- give them the respect that they deserve, we're going to go further faster in whatever we're trying to do. So a hundred percent. Yes. Because it's part of being human. Yeah. You can't shove them under the carpet and go, they're not there. I mean, you can try. You can, you can do, you can do it for 38 years before it all boils over, <laughs> but it's going to boil over and you're going to yes. be fine. Um... Right. Yes, exactly. Well, right. The, the world is better if you don't, if we do honor them. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole movie about that. I love, have you seen the little feelings movie? I'm excited. No. Oh my gosh. Ele- not elements. Is it elements? No, that's, I forgot what it's called, but there's a movie about feelings and they have a new one they're, they're introducing and that's anxiety. So I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> I want to be anxiety because I know what mine looks like. It's really cute. I'll, I'll look it up after the call and send it to you. Okay, cool. Yeah. Maybe we can put it in show notes. Yes. All right. Well, speaking of show notes, um, I'm going to put a link to this in show notes as well. But what's the song that you listen to when you need an extra boost of energy? What's your hype song? (laughs) That was such a hard song. I have so many. But I think um, for the last year, it's been uh, The Greatest by Sia. Because she says, I'm free to be the greatest. I'm alive. It doesn't, yeah. there's no conditions. You're just free to be the greatest, whatever it is. If you want to be the greatest napper, you can be the greatest napper. If you can be the world's okayest realtor, that's me. You can be the greatest world's okayest realtor. <laughs> so, um, I just think I just, it's just a constant reminder when I, cause I do, I, a lot, a lot of people are like, Oh, Sonia, you're so confident. You're so this, you're so, I'm terrified every day. I was terrified to come on this podcast. Uh, what? I know, I know. Uh, that's, that's my, my little imposter syndrome that likes to pop out. Uh, but that song reminds me, yeah, you're free to be the greatest because you know what? You got, you woke up above ground. Like you got an yeah. extra day. You can be whatever you want to be, however you want to be. And if you want to be the greatest, do that. So that song pumps me up. Awesome. And I am going to just note that even though you were afraid, you still did it anyway. And so <sighs> courage doesn't mean absence of fear. It means doing the thing anyway, doing it scared. Yeah, I don't know why anyone where anyone got the idea that you don't you don't have to be afraid. Guess what? The more afraid I am to do something, usually the more energy I put into it, usually the more relieved I feel afterwards and 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 the more proud I am of myself afterwards. And again, fear is an emotion. Let's dance with it. It'll it'll yeah. eventually die down, right? Like right. I me sitting here talking, uh sharing stuff that I haven't shared uh publicly. Uh, very often if definitely uh-huh. not the last year or so and I didn't die I didn't throw up the screen did not combust like <laughs> and I'm done I'm, I'm gonna you know continue my day and and nothing terrible happened so yeah it's okay to be afraid use that fear to fuel you into um movement that's literally what I've done my whole life mm. I've been afraid my whole life and it was like well this is what I said I would do so I never said I would. I never said I, there was never a condition that I would do it if I wasn't afraid. I just said I would do it. So let me do it. 
Awesome. If someone wants to continue this conversation with you, where's the best place to reach you? No, I'm everywhere. DM me. I'm I'm gonna respond quicker to text. I won't lie to you. Text me. My it might yep. will probably pop up somewhere. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, um, Threads, Twitter, Snapchat. Okay. I don't I don't use Snapchat a lot. It's mostly to stalk my child. Um, you can email <laughs> me. Um, okay, I'm in well, the I'll... area, so just hit me up. Yeah, excellent. I will put links to the all of the those outlets in the show notes as well. Thank you, thank you. And I really appreciate you joining me today here on Fine is a Four-Letter Word. <laughs> thank you for having me. So, so, so grateful and honored. I appreciate it. Sonia is a profile in courage, not only in dealing with several life-threatening experiences within her family, but also in facing her own traumas and finding a new path. Here are my top takeaways from this conversation. Number one, at the end of the day, the only person you really have is you. That's why it's so important to learn to love yourself. Ultimately, you can only thrive when you have the resilience and tools that enable you to make it on your own. Number two, negative role models can influence you in a positive way. In the last conversation Sonia had with her adoptive father, he disinvited her from a family reunion that other relatives had invited her to. In that moment, she realized that for as much trauma as he caused her, he also gave her the tools to forgive and rebuild her relationship with her son after he tried to murder her. Number three, when trauma is your normal, you gravitate toward it. Even though it's not comfortable and it's not necessarily what you want, it's familiar and our brains are wired to stick with what's familiar. Number four, you can help others even when you're struggling to help yourself. When Sonia's son came home from therapy, she candidly let him know that she would help him through his issues as best she could, even though she was struggling to help herself. Imposter syndrome tells us we are not qualified to help others unless we, ourselves, are experts who have mastered the subject at hand. Being imperfect and struggling ourselves can make us better mentors, because we appreciate what the other person is experiencing. Number five, healing from trauma is possible. Honor the pain and struggle you've been through, then use it to better your circumstances. Stay safe, live with intention, and make at least one meaningful connection today. Thanks for listening to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow and share it with a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform to help others discover it too. You can find links to my socials on my website, zenrabbit.com. And before you go, take a moment to reflect on what you're grateful for today. Remember, you have the power to create a life you love. And I'm proud of you. Thanks for joining me. Take care. Take care.